Hello and welcome to our new podcast series, 10 Minutes More, Stories from the Experts, by 10 Minute Medicine. This series will be an insight into various specialties, from what makes a good F1, the challenges, and interesting stories from our experts. We're going to cover a series of specialties from both medicine and surgery, and this podcast is particularly directed at medical students and early career doctors. I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, I am Johnny Varman, F2 doctor working in the Seven Deanery and today I have the pleasure of being joined by a relatively new orthopedic uh, consultant, uh, registrar, uh, Richard Donovan. Richard, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Um, would you like to first of all start us off by telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure, uh, so I'm a registrar in the Seven Deanery, uh, just at the ST3 level, so first year as a registrar. Um, mm. I completed my foundation training in London after being at Barts and the London Medical School and then moved to Bristol for core training and then got uh, a job as a registrar. Um, and I've done a little bit of research in between core training and uh, starting my registrar mm. job. Uh, and I'm lining up a PhD to start hopefully in August. Oh, yeah, fantastic. You did mention before that you were going to start the PhD as well. Quite a lot on your plate, I think, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, so th this podcast particularly directed towards medical students and new career doctors, so F1s and F2s, who are possibly looking into what specialty that they want to do. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are attracted to specialties during medical school, and some take a little bit more time to find out what they want to do. What kind of drew you to TNO, do you think? Uh, so for me, I mean, I was quite interested in at, uh, in it during medical school myself and mm. you know what it's like in medical school you only have you know three weeks maximum in a specialty and you don't really get enough yeah. time to have a flavor of it so I set up my uh, foundation jobs so that I'd have four months of orthopedics within that and unfortunately then it yeah. got changed so um, I didn't even get the experience I wanted to get during my foundation program and ended up having to take a year out to get some experience in it and it was completely worthwhile it really gives you a lot more time to get a grounding in in that specialty um yeah but i was drawn to orthopedics uh, ever since being a medical student really and i find it a very satisfying uh, specialty um you know it's the old cliche mm. of you you can improve patients pain and improve their function yeah but it really is true and they they really are incredibly grateful for it and you know as a, as a doctor and a surgeon you, you then find that very satisfying um mm. And I wanted something that was not just, um, you know, mentally stimulating, but also very practical and hands-on and orthopedics gives yeah. you both of those. Gives you the best of both worlds, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. I think, um, that's so true, isn't it? About medical school. You know, I never understand how people want to do ophthalmology when they have, you know, a week of ophthalmology in medical school. They never seem to have the experience, but you basically had four months of orthopedics that got cancelled then. And then you did, uh, was it like a clinical fellow job in your uh, F3 or something like that? Yeah, essentially. Um, so I still worked closely to the orthopedic department, um, but didn't get that experience that I was hoping to get. So I, I, I'd made some kind of connections with them and um, arranged to stay on for a year. Um, yeah. 
and then was part of the team would you know do the get the experience on the wards and during the on calls mm. and uh, get to theatres and clinics when I could and start to develop you know the the things that were necessary to enter core surgical training yeah yeah so you got your experience post f2 basically so mm. I think a lot of the uh, reason why we do this as well is not only to find out what makes a good F1 and F2 or why someone might want to do a specialty, but also interesting things which you've encountered in your career. And I know, of course, you're only, uh, you've only just started as a registrar, but if there was one kind of case or story, or interesting situation you've been in during your orthopedic career, what would it be? I mean, I think interesting things come up all the time. But one mm. that stands out recently was when I was um, covering a night shift as the registrar in the trauma, major trauma centre, and we had a, um, a poly trauma patient come in. So that's someone who's, you know, had a very high energy injury. They'd um, been involved in a road traffic accident and they had multiple injuries to multiple parts of their body. Um, and we had to take them, obviously they came into recess in um, the emergency department. So we had to stabilise them and identify all the injuries. And then we had we spent most of the night in theatre treating them because they had um, what did they have? They had an open femoral fracture um, where the bone has obviously come through the skin. Um, associated with that, there was a femoral artery injury. Uh, on the same leg, they'd almost completely amputated below the knee. Um, when yeah, they came wow. in, there was about ten centimeters of tibia that just wasn't there. Oh, geez. that had been left on the roadside somewhere. Um, and then they had multiple other injuries to the other limbs and to their abdomen. So, you know, when that happens, that patient becomes your priority. And, yeah, you know, a few years ago, I'd have said I could never even begin to manage that patient myself. And yeah. the truth is, you're never really managing these patients alone. You've always got a big yeah. team with you. Um, but now, having done a few years in the job, you know, you start to realize, actually, yes, these are these things aren't as scary as they used to be. And, you know, you can look after these patients and get make sure they get the care they need and take them to theatre overnight with the consultant and get them sorted and stabilised. Mm. Um, See that that's uh, yeah, that sounds quite a lot of adrenaline pumping. I can imagine it was during the time. So at that situation, then did you because there's, there's all I suppose, with orthopaedics overnight, you don't do much operating overnight usually. Uh, so in that situation, was it kind of a vascular surgeon? Uh, you had to call the consultant in. Was that the situation that had to occur? Yeah, I mean, you're right there because in orthopaedics, there aren't many true emergencies that need to be taken to theatre overnight other than maybe, you know, compartment syndrome or yeah. necrotizing fasciitis, depending on where you're working. Um, but yes, I mean... Obviously, I rang my consultant to come in and, and we did a, a joint operation with the vascular surgeons who had oh, right. my consultant okay. and their registrar. Um, and then obviously you've got the uh, encore anaesthetist at the other end of the table yes. uh, and intensive care doctors were working closely with us as well. So it's mm. a whole kind of team approach to um, managing the patient. Um, I remember the plastic surgical registrar was uh, around as well because wow. at one point we thought we needed them as well. So it's a, it's a whole kind of multidisciplinary team approach and um, you get used to working with all these other specialties quite regularly. Yeah, that must have been quite a packed theatre. Did you ever find out how the uh, patient got on at the end of all that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, when they when you have such multiply injured patients, they often, you know, these are life-changing injuries um, and it, it's, it's never easy for them. Um, 
but this uh, this patient had to go back to theatre on multiple occasions because really, yeah. we don't try to fix everything at the time. Um, of it's course, about stabilising yeah. them enough to get them into intensive care to then restore some of their physiology so you can take them back to theatre again once they're more stable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I ever found out how the patient did fully in the end, but um, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was a very interesting case nonetheless. Yeah, high intensity one, it sounds like. I think just moving on to uh, technology in orthopedics. So I, I did a, a course recently um, and it was one of these foundation led courses. Mm. And it was, I think it was sponsored by Stryker, which uh, pr produced a lot of the equipment for orthopedics. And I'd never really used the equipment too much. I'd seen it in theatre every now and again. But it's quite remarkable, isn't it, how probably orthopedics is one of the up-and-coming specialties with a lot of technology, which is ongoing. I spoke to a consultant who said he was doing a robotic total knee replacement, which I'd never heard before. Mm. So what do you think makes the specialty exciting for trainees coming through? Well, I think there is a lot of technology coming in or certainly trying to be brought in. Um, robotics in knee replacements is certainly something that is developing at the moment, like you say. Mm. Um, other things would include things like 3D printing. Um, so you can now contact a company who will, you know, you'll send them the CT scan and they'll reconstruct it as a, a 3D printed bone. So you can then yeah. think about how you're going to um perform your surgery um mm -hmm. and some of the implant companies are also now developing custom implants or or custom pieces of tools yeah. um so that if you need to make if you want to you know perform an osteotomy on a bone so that's where you yeah. um want to either lengthen or shorten a bone essentially um yeah. they can customize that to the specific patient and tell you exactly where you need to make your cuts at what angle and it just completely changes the way you perform it because suddenly you don't need to make all these calculations yourself um and it speeds up the operation it's quite remarkable because it is mathematically i assume if you get a 3d printed implant it's far more precise as well rather than your bog standard um you know pre-measured implant as well which is quite remarkable uh in terms of the future especially in 10 years time what, what do you think is, so you think robotics are more up and coming is there anything else which is more up and coming orthopedics as well i think there'll be more um kind of either virtual reality or augmented reality learning for right both students and you know doctors um yeah i think we might start to see more use of artificial intelligence in diagnostics yeah um their ability to sort of report on uh, imaging and things like that yeah. and i think just generally more kind of collaboration in on, on an international scale so when you have complex cases you're you know you can speak to all the experts across the globe and get their input on things um and if we do kind of end up moving towards a, a world where people have these augmented reality glasses and things then yeah you know these experts can be in the room with you whilst you're performing the surgery and that's going to be very interesting if that does develop yeah definitely i um was in urology theater and i remember seeing uh what there, were t there was talk about with the da vinci uh even someone mm. in america being able to do the operation mm. pretty much virtually remotely. Uh, yeah yeah remotely so to speak uh using the 
Da Vinci system in one country and literally doing it in the other. That's amazing. I can't even imagine what that's like. But I suppose that's where it's heading, isn't it? You know, with these um, robotics in particular. On a different topic, um, you've seen a lot of juniors. You've worked with a lot of juniors uh, throughout your time. Yep. What do you think makes a good F1 or F2 on orthopedics? Mm. I think... A tricky one. Well, I think it's not necessarily about being a good F1 or F2 on orthopedics, but, you know, certain things will just make you being a good F1 or F2 in general. So, yeah, you know, it's about being, um, you know, punctual and mm -hmm. working hard and asking for help when you get stuck and knowing your limitations. Um, but at the same time, looking for opportunities to get involved with things that may be a little bit extracurricular. So, yep. you know, if you finished all your jobs on the ward, um, rather than just, you know, going and hang out in the mess, you could go and see an interesting case in theatre, or you could mm -hmm. get involved with an audit project or a research project. Um, yep. You could teach medical students. There's always plenty going on. And I think really it's when you're an F1 and F2, you're still kind of learning the basics, aren't you, of how to be a doctor. Mm. And you should never try to rush through that process because, you know, you want to learn those basics well so that you can then build on them in the future. Um, mm. But there's always mm. plenty of opportunities if you are interested in orthopedics, that when you are an F1 or F2 in that job uh, to get involved and, you know, start to build your CV towards your future career. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think you've you've touched on a really good point there with it's not it's not about being a good you're not expected to know the ins and outs and all the intricacies of orthopedics are you as a junior you, it's not. about really knowing your limits mm. and when to speak to a senior and when we've spoken to other consultants and registrars uh similar to your position they do really just emphasize what you've just said so knowing when to escalate to a senior is a really key thing and uh, i think you've just hit the nail on the head there all i expect moving on to you know go on yeah go to, on. to do the basics really well because if mm. the basics are done that's that's you know that's the most important thing um mm. when the basics haven't been done then then you're not so happy um but the, at the same time you know situations can be overwhelming and you know sometimes even the basics can't be done so um but i think if you just focus on the basics and then everything else comes later yeah yeah that's right isn't it trying to focus on the basics and I think a lot of, there's a, a whole joke about a lot of, you know, the F1 jobs being almost secretarial, as people mm. say. But it, again, getting the jobs done makes the ball roll quicker for everyone else. You know, listing a patient for surgery, getting the formulations done quickly, getting the mission pro forma done really quickly. Mm. Although it's, it's in somewhat straightforward, the quicker and more efficient way you do it, the better it is for the rest of the team, isn't it, I think? Yeah, and often if, you know, if you want, a scan organizing or you know a blood test sorting or whatever if i go to one of the f1s or f2s they can usually sort it out far quicker than i can because they're so yeah. efficient at getting these things done um, yeah. and they yeah, know definitely. all the kind of shortcuts and so you know people to speak to and whatever yeah yeah 100 percent. so when it comes to you've had a lot of a surgical experience so far what do you think the hardest bit is about being an orthopedic surgeon um I think obviously it's a vocation, isn't it? So you have to recognize that it's not just about, you know, being there from eight till five or whatever. It's yeah. more than that. It, you know, you're doing a lot of reading outside of work. You're going to lots of courses. 
Um, there's always more to learn, always things that are changing. Um, yeah. It can be, you know, your schedule can be quite busy with your on-calls and overnight shifts. Hmm. Um, you know, your clinics can be overbooked and your theatre lists can be busy too. But it's, you know, if you enjoy it, then it doesn't seem like such a chore. It doesn't seem quite so hard. Yeah, and I think that's key, isn't it? So finding something you really enjoy yeah. um, because it's not, doesn't always feel like hard work. Um, there will obviously be challenges along the way as there are with any career. So, mm. you know, you can't expect to have no uh, challenges or for it not to be hard, but um, mm. as long as you enjoy what you're doing, I think that's the key. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it's find that right balance and exactly why we're doing this podcast really to try and get a get a bit of insight from a registrar's perspective of these different specialties as to why they like it why it's enjoyable to help those f1s and f2s and medical students really understand why it might be something enjoyable to do and again yeah you're completely right you know you say you've got a really long list you've got a really long clinic that's not going to feel as you know jarring to you as it is if it if you enjoy doing it you know exactly i, I completely yeah. agree with it yeah um, so as we know, we call surgical training the training pathways in the UK. They are indeed very competitive. Um, you know, core surgical training, I think last year was about three to one. And um, I think they've stopped the run through training in the UK for what I don't even know there was run through training in the UK for orthopedics. Um, but to get an SD3 number, it's, you know, it's fairly difficult. I think a lot of people try two or three times, don't they? It's something like four to, I, th- I think it was seven to one actually last year. Yeah, so what would, what do you think? I mean, not going into too much detail, and we could do a whole podcast on this, but some top tips for those medical students in F1s and F2s aspiring to do orthopedic surgery. Yeah, sure. So I think the the easiest thing that you can start to do is you can look at kind of the structure of the application process and yeah. how to start scoring points early. So mm-hmm. the application systems for things like whether it's, you know, foundation training, core surgical training, ST3 training in whatever surgical specialty you're interested in, these are all available on the um, Oriel websites or the kind of um, the deaneries websites for these foundation programs and uh, other training programs. So you can look at these and you can, you can see kind of, you know, the interviews split into X, Y, and Z sections, whether it's clinical scenarios, uh, Mm -hmm. management scenarios, your, your portfolio station. And then Mm -hmm. particularly in in terms of your portfolio, you can then look at how you can then score points for your portfolio. Um, and really your portfolio is, you know, often one third of the marks, particularly for core yeah. training. So you can then start to think about how can you score those points um, early on and try to maximize your application, really. So, mm. so that's certainly what I did. And I know that's what a lot of other people do. Um, and just get starting to think about that at an early stage. Um, yeah. Another good thing to do is to find someone who can almost be a bit of a mentor for you. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not saying, so if you're a medical student, that's not saying, you know, go and find a consultant who can talk you through the whole career process. You want to find mm-hmm. someone who's maybe a step or two steps ahead of you. So if mm-hmm. you're a medical student or a foundation doctor, that's, you know, finding someone who's probably at the core training stage um, mm-hmm. in and, you know, applying for that specialty that you are considering mm-hmm. and just getting their opinion on things on, you know, what the job's like, what they do and don't like about the specialty yeah 
will it be suitable for you if, if that's something you're considering how can you start to kind of build up your portfolio with sure teaching or research or prizes or whatever yeah um and i think it is good it's always good to start early um but at the same time there is no rush and as we were saying earlier on you know a lot of my portfolio building didn't really start until i'd finished um my f2 year yeah um and I've had a couple of years out here and there along the way, uh, mm. training mm. and, you know, that, uh, you know, things didn't necessarily go hard planned them, but, um, mm. it's all worked out and I'm very happy where I am now. And I'm planning on taking more years out in the future to do a PhD Yeah, and, um, you know, always have a plan, but remember there's not, you don't have to rush through these things and you'll be a consultant for many, many years and, you know, you don't yeah. have to get to the top at, you know, yeah. 34 or whatever you know that's mm. you don't have to do it that way do you know i um that's a really interesting point i was listening to another podcast and they did a survey of 20 people that so called rushed to consultancy so they didn't take any years out mm. so that was of course quite a lot of them didn't do foundation training because that only came in you know was it yeah. 10 15 years ago and the results were astounding. It was un unanimously, they all said, take years out. They all said, take years out because they say you're a consultant for about 30 years or something, don't they? So when you're a consultant, you're not going to remember taking a, a cheeky year out here and there. Exactly. Just to build on yourself, portfolio, masters, you know, even to do, a, you know, like a clinical fellow year, teaching fellow year. So I would I'd 100% emphasize that. Obviously, I'm a very junior level at that point but just from looking at those results and based on what you said i completely agree because a lot of people getting to this um mindset that it's too late you know when is the right time to decide when you want to do something mm. and a lot of people think a lot of medical students in particular think that surgery surgery needs to be decided in medical school mm. to build those portfolio points but you've just proved that look you decided yeah, you know, during foundation year, but you started to build your portfolio after foundation year. So it's not necessarily something you need to rush into. Yeah, that's a really, Absolutely. really good point, I think, for a lot of those medical students out there that are perhaps worried about the competition ratios. It's about taking those years out potentially and just building on the portfolio. The only thing I would Rich, add I think, to that, yeah, go on. just before you move on, um, do be aware that there are sometimes time limits in some of the application systems um so for example in core training they advise you to not have more than 18 months of uh any mm. surgical experience between finishing uh, f2 and starting core training and mm -hmm. when you apply for well certainly when i applied for orthopedic registrar training um there's kind of like an optimal number of years of orthopedic yeah. experience and you know, once you hit, hit that optimal point, you'll get the maximum points. Um, yeah. However, if you've had too much experience, you do then do get marked down. So, and this is really why it's important to look at these things ahead of time um, is so that you can plan ahead and make sure that you're not, you know, you're yeah. not taking, you, whilst it's fine to take time out here and there, don't take out too much time because you will be penalized potentially. Um, yeah. And that's all, also worth, worth bearing in mind. That's a really good point, actually, that I've, I've 
completely glossed over. Uh, yeah. So I think they say, is it for, yeah, like you said, a registrar training. I think in most surgical specialties, if you take more than two years, they start to penalize you. But I think two years is enough, isn't it, really, to, uh, yeah, to do I the think... things that you need to do to decide remember. what you perhaps want to do. I can't remember the exact figures, but yeah, it might, yeah. It might be three, but um, yeah, definitely worth looking at. I just didn't want people uh, to go away thinking, you know, oh, I could have, you know, 10 years out and then come back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You don't want people to walk away with the wrong idea. So it's good that you made a well-rounded statement. Okay, Richard, thanks very much for tuning in and uh, helping us out with the podcast. Really appreciate it. And thank you for all our listeners who have tuned in. And it's been a pleasure, Richard. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. All right. All the best, everybody, and look out for our next podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you enjoyed, do consider dropping us a like on Facebook or heading over to our website and signing up to our mailing list to be kept up to date with all future releases. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed and goodbye.